thousand years ago A man made his story He lived without committing sin Still they nailed him to a tree Wounded for transgressions Bruised for iniquity Do you really know what happened At this place called Calvary? Calvary, my sins were erased. At Calvary, Jesus took my place. At Calvary, there is amazing grace. Oh, I thank God for this place called Calvary. The preaching of the cross is little heard today. Oh, but I am not ashamed of it. For this cross has power to save. Sin will leave you empty, marred by guilt and stain. Oh, but there is hope in Jesus. Cleansing blood flows through His veins. My sins were erased. At Calvary, Jesus took my place. At Calvary, there is amazing grace. Oh, I thank God for this place called Calvary. Yes, at Calvary, our sins were erased. At Calvary, Jesus took our place. At Calvary there is amazing grace. Oh, I thank God for this place called
do this. This is not my habit. And some have this and some don't. But I, I need you to stand today. It's not anything special. I need you to stand as we read the word today. I'll just be honest with you. Some of you look really sleepy today. And I thought, how am I going to get a hold of this crowd as sleepy as they look? And so it's nothing other than that. I want you to stand up, wake up a little bit. And if, if they are not waking up, slap the person next to you, wake them up. Let them get woke up. Okay. Be nice, though. Be nice. All right. So you look a little bit like you got some life to you now. Okay, let's, let's look in God's word while we're standing in Mark chapter 5. And we'll start reading in verse 21. Now, thus far in this chapter, the Lord has just healed a, a man possessed. And the, it's amazing to me. He heals this man, and then the crowd wants him to leave. Now, uh, that's, that's how the world is, you know. But uh, I don't understand how he could just do such a miracle, and then everybody said, get out of here. We don't want you. I want the Lord to show up. I want him to be with me. Mark chapter 5, look at verse 21 on the heels of that. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, such much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hand on her, that she may be healed and, she, and live." And Jesus went unto him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came uh, to the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the foundation of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude throng thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. Now watch verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing that was done to her, came and fell before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole with thy plague. While, yet, uh, while he yet spake, there came forth the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Let's pray. Lord, help us today as we look into thy word at this occasion that you did such uh, compassionate work helping this dear man with his sick daughter. Lord, there are people in our congregation today that are hurting, facing difficult situations. Lord, there are no doubt heavy hearts today that I know not of. As a pastor, Lord, you let me know that some of the congregation, some of the sheep of this pasture have heavy burdens they're bearing. But sometimes, Lord, I, I don't even know what your people are going through, but you do, and you care. And I pray today that we'd understand that more fully as we look into your word. Bless now those that are 
carrying heavy burdens. Encourage those that are, uh, Lord, having a difficult time right now in their spiritual life. And I pray for that one, perhaps it's not even saved today, that it's coming to this building today uh, to go to church. I pray, God, that you'd speak to their heart about their soul's need of salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, do these things for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Now, today I have this thought upon my heart today, and here's my, here's my thought. You are not bothering me. All right? That's my thought today. You are not bothering me. Now, um, sometimes I get calls from people in the church, people outside the church, but mostly people in the church, and they begin their conversation with something that goes like this. Someone will say, um, Pastor, I'm sorry for bothering you, and then they continue their conversation with me. Uh, someone will call and say, Preacher, I hope I'm not bothering you, and they'll start out with that, uh, that, that line. Pastor, I know you're busy, so I hope I'm not bothering you or bugging you today, but, and then they go on and ask me the question. Now, my wife does this a lot. My, my wife's a, a dear lady, and she doesn't like to trouble anybody, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I'm like this. I, I'll often call the church people and say, and I hope this isn't a bad time if you've got a call from me. I, I called Lewis the other day. I said, Lewis, I hope I'm not bothering your work day. I hate to call people when they're at work, but sometimes I need to get a hold of them. The texting is wonderful, but sometimes you just got to call people. And so, you know, I'll call and I'll say, so I, 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 I hope I'm not interrupting your dinner. It might be sometime between 4.30 and 7 o'clock, and you never know what families are sitting down. But, but I'll do this. And, you know, it's, it's pretty common. We probably all do it. But it's also considerate. I think we ought to. But I understand in the day in which we live, people are not usually picking up their phone if they're not intending to answer it. So we're usually not bothering somebody or... People are bold enough to say, yeah, you are bothering me. What can I do for you? Okay? But anyway, here in our text, Mark chapter 5, uh, we read here in verse 21. Take a look at it again. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over by the ship on the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Now watch verse 23. And besought him greatly saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lie thy hands on her, that she may be healed, that she may live. Now here's this man approaching Jesus because he had a sick child. He had a sick daughter. And he was concerned for her health. And he sought him, the Bible says, greatly. Okay, Jairus has a petition here that is not passive. It is not passionless, if you would. It is not weak or half-hearted. It is pointed. He is pleading his case. His posture here is neediness. It's desperation. He's afraid. His child is sick. He's upset. He's trying to move Jesus to do something for him and his daughter and his family. Now, we've got to remember something here. He is a leader in the synagogue. Under normal set of circumstances, he wouldn't even approach Jesus. He wouldn't want nothing to do with Jesus because Jesus is becoming quite popular among the people, and he and his crowd are not liking that. But here's a man who's in a desperate situation, and he, he realizes that he's got to get a hold of somebody, and that somebody that can help him, he believes, is Jesus. Now, I don't know uh, about everything that might be troubling somebody here today, but I want you to know something. 
He cares. The Lord cares about what comes in and out of our daily lives. Uh, he, uh, he stood outside of a tomb one day when a man that he loved and his two sisters, and he had already passed, and the Bible said Jesus wept, showing us the compassion that the Lord had for people with their everyday problems, big and small. And he cared about them in their loss. Listen, some of you have just faced loss. He cares. Some of you are dealing with health situations that are beyond uh, my imagination. He cares. Some of you are dealing with uh, maybe difficulties in your home or your family or marriage. Who knows? He cares. And I want to get across something that the Lord spoke to my heart about in this text. You're not bothering him when you come to him. The Lord doesn't feel that way when you get him on heaven's phone line and say, Lord, I, I know you're busy, but he wants us to call out to him. He wants us to bear our burdens to him. Amen. Now here's a man whose daughter is sick and he's very troubled. And uh, the doctors say, uh, well, we've done everything we know what to do, sometimes to us. You'll go to take your child or your loved one, your mate, to a doctor and the doctors will say, well, we've tried everything and we're still not sure if this is going to work. What do you do then? You see, our faith cannot be in doctors or hospitals. Our faith must be in the Lord. And you're not bothering him when you approach his throne. Amen. Go to Psalm 103 this morning. Psalm 103. Just look at a few verses here. To establish this truth right from the word of God. Psalm 103. And look at verse 11. The psalmist writes, Psalm 103 verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Watch verse 14. For he knoweth our frame, and he remembereth that we are but dust. What does that mean? The Lord knows we're just flesh. We're weak. Amen. We lack strength. We lack sometimes confidence in God for what we're going through. Now, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.15 that we have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. You know the Lord is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. That word touched is an interesting word. It means to have great compassion. It means to be touched with the feelings of somebody else. It has to do with empathy. It has to do with being where they're at at that given time. It means to sympathize with a feeling, to have compassion upon that individual. Praise the Lord. We have a Lord up in heaven who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We have a God who's sympathetic to our plight. We have a God who's compassionate toward us when we're in time of trouble. He, and he knows our weakness. He knows our flesh. He knows that we have need of him. It says again in Psalm 78, 39, For he remembered that we are but flesh. Now what appeals to me in this text is Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. For In my thinking, he's a preacher of a congregation. And he has need of healing for his daughter. And he's concerned about the plight of his child. And he's worried that something might 
be tragic. She, she might even die, and he runs to the Lord. And some people say, well, he didn't have much faith. He's supposed to be the preacher man. Let me tell you something about preacher men. Preacher men, preacher women, workers of God are just men and women. They, they have flesh. They have weakness too. And so I relate to this father who's in, he, he's concerned about his daughter. She lieth, it says, at the point of death. And here's his words to Jesus. I pray thee, come and lay hands on her that she may be healed and live. And I submit to you again, that's something that he would normally would have not submitted himself to. But he's in trouble. So he comes to the one who can do something about it. I pray thee. That's just the Bible term that means I beg you. I adjure you. I, I plead with you. Come. Come to my home. And I'm glad this man had faith in Jesus. He had confidence in his ability. He had faith that he had the power to heal. And not just heal, but to heal his child. And we must have that same belief, saints of God, in our day. Because we're going to get ourselves in a situation someday that nobody can help us but him. Nobody can remove the, 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 uh, the fear of death but him. Nobody can touch the body like him. Nobody can change the situations that we're going through but him. And so we need to seek him, and we need to trust him at these times. So we see an urgent appeal for help. And we see his, in verse 24, his request. And so Jesus, with compassion, goes to the ruler of the synagogue's house. He goes to the preacher's house. And he's in the preacher's house because there's been a request for him to come. There's, however, when they're on their way, there comes another thing I want us to point out in this whole chapter, is an unforeseen delay. Oh, those are difficult to take. You're seeking God and you think it's going in one direction and then when you think everything's been covered and handled and you're going in the right direction, there will be an unforeseen delay. The doctors will say, well, we thought we had this, but we need to do a little bit more. Uh, we went in surgery and thought we got it all, but we need to go in there again. Or uh, we thought this situation was handled, but apparently not, and so we're going to have to take this course of action. That'll happen. We come to the Lord and we, we, we lay things in his hand and, and there'll be something unforeseen that arises and we wonder why. Sometimes we never know why. Just the Lord working in his way, his will. In Mark chapter 5, verse 25, we see the delay is mentioned in Scripture. A certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. On the way to this man's house to heal his sick child, this daughter that's getting ready to die, here's this woman barging in, and she's wanting help. Chapter 9 and verse 20 says, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. She's pretty desperate too. You see, we need to remember, when you're going through something, you may feel like you're the only one going through it, but that's not true. And we have a tendency to believe that my problem is the only problem, my need is the only need. And, and we can get outright unchristian about this if we're not careful. But you see, God's the kind of God that can handle all this stuff. I'm glad we don't have a weak, anemic God that only happened one at a time, you know. And, I, you know, that's not our God. Our God can handle it all. But in this course, in this situation... Here's this man, desperate for help. His daughter's getting ready to die. She's at the point of death. And there's this interruption. Luke 8, 43, And a woman had an issue of blood 12 years, which spent all her living upon physicians. Neither could be healed of any. She's in a desperate plight here. But consider the plight. 
She's separated from her family, and I don't know reason why. However, I do know, according to Scripture, that she's unclean, and she's not supposed to be around other people. The Bible says in, in Leviticus, Leviticus 15, 25, And if a woman have an issue of blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as days of her separation, she shall be unclean. Now, I don't know what she did, and, and it's not said what happened, but she is unclean. But, you know, I'm glad that this woman thought, you know, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I need help too. And I'll go to the Lord. And you know what? The Lord didn't say, hey, lady, you're unclean. You've had your chance. No, he didn't do that. And she reaches out and touches him, believing that he's going to help her. And as soon as it happens, the Lord says, whoa, somebody touched me. He, he knew that virtue had come out of him. And, you know, folks, we've got to get back to the point where we believe desperately that Jesus can do something about our situation. And reach out and touch him by faith. And when you do, here's the message, you're not bothering him. You're not bothering him. Don't say to God, God, I know I'm not worthy. God, I know you don't have time. I know there's other people. Hey, he cares about you. You're not bothering him. It's interesting that the Lord meeting needs, both needs at the same time. But here's what I was wondering. In this text, as I was reading this about this ruler, I mean, his child's at the point of death. And he's concerned. I wonder if he was thinking like this. I was first. I wonder if he thought, I don't know, I can't prove it, but I wonder if his mind, he thought, well, that's not fair. You ever been in a doctor's office before and you had an appointment? And you've been sitting there 45 minutes and in walks a person, sits down, and they're there about five minutes and they say, uh, Mrs. So-and-so, and you go, wait, 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 wait. I've been sitting here 45, you think it. You might even go to the desk and say, I'm not trying to be unkind, but I've been waiting here, and three or four other people have gone before. You ever been to a restaurant before? And you're hungry? I mean, you're so hungry? And you're, and you're noticing that the waitress has been around all the tables around you, and nobody was sitting there when you came in? And you've you got this tendency about us. Well, don't, hey, what about me? I, I was here first. That's not fair. And maybe he thought in himself, my problem is greater than her problem. Hey, folks, he was waiting for Jesus to come to his house because his child is near death. Now, I understand this. You know, we're waiting on a kidney for Joseph now the second time. And I understand the feeling of a parent wondering, hey, you're going to get it in time? And right away, people in kindness, they'll say, how's Joe? How's he doing? And I'm just using this as an illustration. I'm saying, well, he's doing all right. You know, he needs a kidney, and you don't want to go into detail. But you're, as your parents, you're thinking, man, I hope, I hope, this moves on. I hope. Is he on the list? Yes, he's on the list. Is he going to get his? Is he? Is he high on the list? Since he's a donor, I, I don't know. We don't know those things right now. But here's the tendency we do, and parents do, is they think, well, we hope he gets up. But you have to understand, when we're wanting him to get a kidney, and when we care about what he's going through, there's all kinds of people all over the United States of America in this world that are in the same boat. And we have a tendency to think that my problem is more important than their problem. In this situation, here's a man, he's worried about his daughter. I mean, I get this. I understand this. And in the midst of Jesus coming to help them, they've been, come to our house, Lord, come and take care of the situation. There's an interruption. Here's this lady. And I can imagine him thinking, you know, wait a minute. 
My daughter's a child. She's lived a long time. She's the one with the issue of blood. She's had it 12 years. She's been to all these physicians. Kind of has the idea that she's a little bit older than the daughter. And so naturally the father would say, now wait a minute, she had her chance. What about my child? Hey, listen, understand this. That's, 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 that's kind of normal. But listen, the Lord is going to make the right decision, whatever the decision is. He is always right. It doesn't make him less compassionate because he doesn't come on our schedule. And let's say it doesn't come the way we want it to come. He's still great. He's still God. He's still wonderful. He still cares. He, he's still in control. He's still aware. He's still powerful. And listen, you come and say, well, I don't really want to bother God. He doesn't mind you bothering him. Come to him. But trust him. And trust him even in the midst of delay. Trust him even though the situation is, is not as you would have it be. Hey, I understand the heart of this man. And no doubt he had these thoughts. Wait a minute, I'm first. Wait a minute, this isn't fair. Wait a minute, my daughter's a kid. She has the rest of her life. How come we're dealing with this old lady? I, mean, I didn't say that, but... I'll tell you how serious it is. Verse 35, look at it says, Matthew 35, 535. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, now don't miss this, thy daughter is dead. You talk about pointed. Why, here's, a, here's a statement. Why troublest thou the master any further? Don't bother the Lord, she's dead. Nothing can be done. She's dead. Can you imagine how those words must have felt when that father first heard them? They come in and say, your, your daughter's dead. I, can you, I can't even imagine. And then the next word, don't trouble the master. Hmm. But watch what Jesus says. Verse 36, and be not afraid, only believe. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going to deal with. But be not afraid. Only believe. Trust, trust him. See his heart. He cares. He knows. Be not afraid. Only believe. Uh, he goes over to the house and he gives life to this precious daughter. Glory to God. We're, we're glad. Amen? But the comment I'm interested in today that we go out of God's house understanding. Why troublest thou the master any more, O saints? I stress this today. You're not troubling God. He cares. Now, with that platform built, I want to give you a few points when we'll be done today. No matter what you're going through or dealing with, you need to come to Jesus. Here's what I know. I know some people that go through some things and they will not go to Jesus. As a pastor, I've come to people and said, now look, have you prayed about this? And I'm shocked when they say, no, we haven't. Well, why haven't you? Well, we just don't feel worthy. Or I feel like I've done wrong. Why would God forgive me? Because he's a forgiving God. Maybe you're out there and you're carrying the baggage of your life, things you've done wrong, sins you've made, mistakes you've done. And you, here's, here's our problem. We believe that God will forgive us, but we will not forgive ourselves. 
And I know some people that haven't served God in a number of years. You know why? They've messed up and they won't forgive themselves. Hey, get over it. He's forgiven you and he wants to use you for his honor and glory. All of us are misfits. All of us are mess-ups. Amen. And one for the grace of God, there go I. Let's remember that if, you, if you've got something like that, you're carrying on. Quit carrying that load. Give it to the Lord. If you're dealing with things in your life that are, that are, that are difficult and hard, I, well, I don't feel like I want to tell the Lord about it. I've had my chance. I, I've had my opportunities. God's been so good to me. Go to him again. He cares. You're not bothering him. I promise you, you are not bothering him. He wants to hear from his child today. Friends, no matter what you're going through, number one, Jesus is not bothered by the magnitude of your problem. We think, man, this is a big one. We in our minds think it's almost impossible. It's insurmountable. I mean, here's a woman with the issue of blood, 12 years. She's depleted, she's distraught, she's discouraged, she's all the above. And here's a man with a little daughter getting ready to die. And she actually grows worse. She actually dies. But these events and these extreme situations, again, did not bother the Savior's attitude. It did not bother his action. Uh, Jesus is never bothered by the magnitude of my or your problem. No matter how many, how large, how often. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. For now unto him, talking about Jesus, that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. You see, you and I have the person of the Holy Spirit, God, within us. And God is able to do all things above our imagination, personally, family-wise, church-wise. You're not bothering with the magnitude of your problems. Oh, my problem is so big. What you're saying is God's not big enough to solve your problem. God is big enough to solve your problem. Then why isn't he? I don't know. He's God. Ask him. Get in communication with him. But he's plenty big. Number two, God's not bothered with the multitude of my sins. In, 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 in 1 Peter 4, 8, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, the charity shall, uh, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. The multitude of sins. Uh, we, again, this idea that I've done something so wrong that God can't forgive me. The blood of Christ covers all sin. Uh, no sin is beyond the grace of God. No sin cannot be whipped by our Savior. No sin cannot be unforgiven. Amen. He loves us, and he corrects us. The only sin that's unforgivable is the sin of unbelief. And he says, believe, believe on me. That's the key. Amen. There's enough of God's love for any sinner that needs to be saved. I don't know who's here today. I didn't know who would be here when I preached this. But I don't know who's here today. And you, you might be lost. You might be on your way to hell. You might be needing forgiveness of your sin. In your mind, you're thinking, oh, I can't ever be saved. I've done this. I've been that. I am this. Hey, God's grace is sufficient. And he'll forgive us as long as we come and say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen. We look in the Bible how the Lord saved the unlovely. The, the harlot, the, the hardened sinner, the drunk, the down and out, and even the religious folks that weren't saved. Amen. He's not bothered by the magnitude of our problems or the multitude of our sins. And he is, however, bothered by the mistrust of our heart. 
you say, well, I'm glad that God can handle the multitude of my sins. I'm glad that he can handle the magnitude of my problem. But listen, you need to be concerned that he is bothered by your mistrust of him. We call ourselves believers. We call ourselves Christians. But then when a certain situation comes, we fall apart. Again, I understand this. Jairus is a man, he's a ruler, and many of them probably thought, well, what's going on here? And some people will think that way of preachers or evangelists or missionaries, and they'll say, wait, 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 I thought they were really holy people, and, and they were above this. No, they're just people, and they have weakness, and they have a flesh, and sometimes the devil works on them, beats them up pretty good, and they get weak. I want to say to us today, again, quit beating yourself up. God loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to have faith in him. He said, but preacher, there was a time in my life where I just had such strong faith, and I just don't have it anymore. Hey, you remember what Jesus said to his disciples on different occasions? One time he said to them, why is it you have no faith? Another time he said, why is it so little faith? That was the disciples. My goodness. They walked with him and talked with him and saw his miracles. We read it in a book, which is great. That's great faith. But man, they were there and they still had their doubts. We mistrust God too often. But I thank God when I'm weak, he is strong, Paul said. There are times when I'm weak. I'll confess that I'm a man of God, I'm a preacher. I have no doubt in my salvation or doubt in my calling, but there are times when I'm weak. And when I'm weak, thank God he's strong. And there are times in my life where my wife and I will be going through something and there are times where I'm strong for her and thank God there's times where she's strong for me. And boy, if we ever get together on this thing, we're in trouble, but God overrides this because it's not about her strength and my strength, it's about his strength. And there are going to be times in our lives where we just have to only believe that he cares and he loves us. You remember the great man Joshua taking over the leadership of Moses in the Old Testament. And he has a meeting with God at midnight. And what he does here is he thinks he's the enemy. And when he finds out that it is the Lord himself, he acknowledges that he's not worthy. And he falls flat on his face. And he acknowledges how worthy God is. Remember, remember that in Judges? You know, there are going to be times in our life that we're going to be so weak and so unfaithful and so fleshly that we won't even feel like we can approach God. It is then we hit our knees. I like that song we sang. Bow the knee. We need to bow the knee more, 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 more. And recognize who he is. We need him. Amen? So much. I'm thinking of illustrations in the Bible. Uh, I'm recalling how Jesus gave his disciples power to cast out demons in Luke chapter 10 uh, 10 and verse 20. Devils, the the King James Bible calls it. And they came rejoicing to him. And here's what they said, that the devils are subject unto us. They were all excited about this. And Jesus said, don't don't get excited about that. Get excited that your names are written in heaven. Hey, you know, we might not have all our uh, spiritual uh, I's dotted and T's crossed And we might be having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or a bad year, but you know what? The Lord's in charge. Rejoice that your names are written down. 
When you're going through something you don't know how to handle, just thank God you know him. And more importantly, that he knows you. And he's in control when you're not. Amen. I'm thinking of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27. He's on the boat there. He's on the ship. And a storm comes up and everybody's in peril. And everybody's worried about the storm at sea. And, and Paul says to him, to the mariners, he, he's talking about the storm. He, it doesn't look good. And Paul says these words, but I believe God. See, he had a personal visitation of God to him in that trial. That's what we need, a personal visitation with God in the trial. And we need to say, God, come to my home. Come to my heart. Come to my situation. When you're at the altar and you're praying, say to God, God, meet me right here at this altar. I need a touch. I need help. You know, I've had people say to me, Preacher, I know God helps you. I've had my children say, Dad, Mom, I know God answers your prayer. But what about me? I know there's a lot of people that feel that way. God will answer your prayer too. God loves you. I never forget years ago, I was in chapel services at Tennessee Temple. I'd just been there a short time, and Dr. Lee Robertson mounted the pulpit, and I was so in awe of him, just about anything that happened around that ministry, but him especially. And boy, he got up and preached a great message, but he said to us in chapel service one day, he said, hey, I want you to know something, God loves you. And just, yeah, great, God loves you. But he said, he said something interesting. He said, I know some of you think, yeah, God loves Lee Robertson because Lee Robertson, pastor of a great church and, and all this kind of stuff. But he said, hey, God loves you. I'm a child just like you're a child. And your father loves you just like he loves me. And boy, it dawned on me that day. Hey, God loves me like Lee Robertson. Now, maybe it did dawn on you that way. You weren't there, but it did me that day. We have this tendency, yeah, God loves so-and-so. He's a great man of God. God loves sister so-and-so. She's a great woman of God. God loves the missionaries. They've sacrificed, been on the field for God. Hey, God loves you. And he cares about you. And he knows what you're going through. And he wants you to know, listen, you're not bothering him when you come to him with your multitude of sin. You're not bothering him when you come with the magnitude of your sin. So big you don't know what to do with it. Hey, he knows what to do with it. But he is troubled when we don't believe him enough to pray, enough to ask, enough to plead. Paul said, I believe God. That made the difference in Paul and his ministry. David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, last illustration, I'll be done. He's called of God. The prophet of God comes and anoints him. David, earlier, he was the young man that had faith enough to to fight a lion. He had faith enough to, to fight the bear and finally to fight Goliath, the giant, all these times. But then later in his ministry, in 1 Samuel chapter 27, he's hounded by Saul. He's already been told by the prophet he's the man. He's already been anointed king of Israel. It's just a matter of time. Well, why he's in the wood, why he's running from Saul, he's beginning to feel sorry for himself. He's looking at the circumstances of life and he's thinking, this isn't going to add up, but God had already said it would. And he's not believing God. And here, the, uh, David had this pessimism against the promises of God. He just he wasn't believing God because why? He was weak. He was lacking faith. He was tired. He was running for his life. As Saul was reaching out to him every day. He, he came after him like a, he said, a, a flea. He came after him like a, a dead dog. He feels like it's only a matter of time when, when Saul's going to get his hands on him. But he should have thought, wait a minute. God's already anointed me. This is a done deal. just hadn't happened yet. But he's not thinking that way. Aren't we that way? 
God has promised us what we don't believe Him because of the situation we're in or the present circumstances we're in. And so we don't even, we don't even go to God anymore. You're not bothering Him. Come to Him. Ask Him for your help. Ask Him for His grace. David's pessimism against the promises of God, against the providence of God. Again, David forgot that he'd already been delivered from Saul three different times as he, as he chucked the javelin at him, as he was playing the instrument in the banquet room. He'd already been through that. He forgot that God uh, got him through the issue with the Philistines when he went over there to run from Saul and he acted like a crazy guy. And, and, and all that stuff happened. And God used that to get him uh, set free. He forgot how that... Uh, he, he, that he could have had Saul in that uh, uh, cave of Adullam, but he honored God's man. He honored God's man. He went through all these situations. He forgot about the times that he was hungry. He, for, he forgot about uh, uh, the people being taken uh, in, in war. He forgot about uh, God not delivering him out of certain situations and then miraculously delivering him out of others. Isn't it like us? That we go along in life and we see God help us here, God help us there, God meet this need, God meet that need, and then forget all about that when we face a new trial. Same God, same power. What we need to do is get to him. Now I think you understand my stress of my message today. Child of God, I want you to go out of here today and I want you to have confidence again in calling on your God to help you in your situation. Say, well, mine's not as important as so-and-so's. Oh, yes, it is. Because remember, this man came to Jesus with a desperate situation, but he had time for the lady that approached him with her set of circumstances. And our God's big enough to take care of it all. Amen. If you need to be saved today, you're not bothering him by asking him to forgive you. That's why he died on Calvary, to forgive you your sin. But I've done so much, that's why he died. That's why he shed his blood. But, you know, and then there's people here that have been saved for a long time, but you've not done much for God? Yeah. I'll be honest with you, as a preacher, I observe this thing, and it sometimes frustrates and aggravates me. Why won't they do more for God? Why won't they serve God? Amen. But you know what God's just waiting for? He's waiting for you to realize, hey, come to me. Let's reason together and serve me. And I will give you my power, my touch, my ability. There's so, much, there's so many people in here, really, that you could be doing more for the Lord, but you just won't forgive yourself. And number two, you will not talk to God about it because you don't feel worthy. Well, every one of us are unworthy. Amen? Let's bow our heads if we would today. Every head bowed.